Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Co-op, our radio show. This morning, I have the pleasure of interviewing Linda Leakes. Uh, she is being inducted into the Cooperative Hall of Fame, and that will be on October the 5th at the National Press Club. Good morning, Linda. Good morning, and thank you so very much. Well, I'm so glad to have you on, and I am thrilled that you're being inducted into the Hall of Fame because I met you right after I came to D.C. in the mid-'80s, and you were doing the work then. Where are you today? Well, I am just hanging around today. (laughs) But you're in D.C.? I'm I'm in D.C., not doing any organizing, just hanging out. Well, you've done a lot in your in your lifespan. I am in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm here at the Up and Coming Conference. Uh, Up and Coming is people that want to start food co-ops can come to this conference, which is an annual conference, to learn all about how to start a food co-op. And that's a interesting business. It's a hard business, but it's one that can be extremely profitable for the members, owners, and the community. Uh, but you you did your organizing in housing. How did you get started in organizing folks to create housing co-ops? Well, initially it was in the housing where I lived in downtown D.C., a rental housing, and the owners, of course, were trying to force us out so that hotels and convention centers could be built downtown (laughs) and not have any low and moderate income tenants living in that area. So, but, you know, at that time, tenants had rights in D.C. to stay in our uh, apartment, in our units. And they came in with different kind of methods to force us out. So that's how I got involved, is fighting for my rights and the rights of my other tenants to maintain our housing. (laughs) So fighting for your rights, when you say downtown D.C., where was that in D.C.? Okay, yeah. I mean, like, well, the the property number was 919 L Street, Northwest. And right now, right now, that is right across from the uh, major convention center. But uh, 919 L Street is where I lived, and there were other, of course, tenants in that property. And um, the hotel and the convention center came in to try to force us out. That's how I got started in fighting for my rights as a tenant. So you, <laughs> okay, right? You're just an everyday citizen uh, living in, a, in a, an apartment building, and you were told you had to leave or they were trying to kick you out, and you said, 
wait a minute, hold on. And you have rights. Yeah. yeah, what were those rights? Well, you know, in D.C. at that time, we had the first right, as tenants, we had the first right to purchase a property if it was up for sale, if we wanted to uh, move. And, and if we did not want to purchase the building and we did not want to move out, we had the right to uh, remain as tenants. And um, that's what, in, in my property, in my building, that's what uh, folks, that was what people were saying. We don't want to move. We want to stay here. Uh, but the uh, those uh, owners from Germany and all over the world wanted to force us out so that they could come in and make a lot of money. And so that was my first battle to say, stop trying to force us out. We want to stay here. And, you know, at that time, you know, we were able to pay our rents and keep up, you know, our our resources were pretty good in, in the sense that the housing cost wasn't so extreme. Where we knew it wasn't so extreme. So we were doing pretty good. But, um, yeah, so they decided that they wanted to kick us out so that they could um, make a lot of money. About what year was this? Uh, this was like, uh, what, 70-something, 70, 70 something in the early 70s, I think it was. Sometime in the 70s. Okay. So I think it this, might have been 76 or 77, something like that. So you are living in this apartment building, and you're saying the owners perhaps not only didn't live in the community on L, <laughs> 9th and L Street in D.C., they may not have lived in D.C., they might have even been international, Germany or other places that the owners perhaps lived and they yeah. wanted tenants to move out or to get out so that they could then take and sell that or make that into co-ops or higher price rental units. Well, no, they wanted to demolish it so that it could become a part of the convention center. So that's what was going on because, um, you know, and that's what it is now. They eventually was able to force people out. But um, I fought them. That was that was a battle that I was involved in. And uh, I was also involved in creating the cooperative where I, where I live now. But uh, so I was fighting for my rights as a tenant. And I was fighting for all our rights as a tenant. So we, you know, we had pretty good tenant laws here in D.C. And we were being protected. But these bank owners from the Deutsche Bank in Germany that uh, wanted to come in and get the owner of the properties and they wanted to benefit from creating the uh, convention center. Uh, they were the one that was trying to force us out because they had forced out a lot of tenants in their area. And that's how they got the convention center because it used to be housing for uh, low and moderate income people all downtown D.C. And these rights were the, the TOPA laws to give you the first right of refusal to purchase the building. And that was uh, under Marin Barry put those laws in place? Uh, yes. Um, well, the, he, was, he was a mayor then, but uh, I, I think the laws might have been even before he got to be mayor. Well, I guess he was our first mayor. But anyway, the, uh, the uh, local people that control... The District of Columbia was involved in creating 
those kind of uh, resolutions and uh, laws. So if you were in, living at 919 L Street in 1976, that's 47 years ago. <laughs> A bunch of change in that area in these 47 years. Absolutely. A bunch of change. Yes, I mean, where I was living and fighting against the that uh, hotel and that convention center, well, right now it's a part of the uh, well, hotel. At 919 L Street, where I was living, is a part of, uh, is owned now by the hotel. That's Marriott, I believe, in that area. Yeah, yeah I think that's a Marriott that's right there where, where, that, where you used to be. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that got you involved for your rights. You didn't go to school and get a degree in organizing people or uh, getting a law degree to tell you how to fight these people. You, 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 you're a regular, normal citizen saying, I have some rights, and I want to protect my rights uh, and where I live. Is that do, do I have that correct? Is that? Well, not quite. Okay. No, I, I was involved in the quote-unquote, black power movement <laughs> back in the 60s, you know, the late 60s. I was a part of, uh, in Florida, I'm from St. Petersburg, Florida. So I was involved in, um, I see you're in Missouri right now, aren't you? So um, mm-hmm. the African People's Socialist Party, I was a part of that uh, organization back in the 60s. In fact, I was one of the founders <laughs> of the African Socialist Party who were Part of them is in Missouri. Uh, I don't know if they're in the same city where you are, but know that. So I was, I was very much uh, organized, very much involved in justice uh, from right after I got out of school (laughs) back in the early '60s or the late '60s. Okay, but you found yourself at nine at 919 L Street and people were trying to take over your housing and you said, okay, let me use these skills that I've acquired to help to organize people. When you say help to organize people, what do you end up doing in terms of organizing folks to mm-hmm. own their own property or to purchase it? Or Well, uh, you know, I did get involved in organizing residents to come together because that's always been my philosophy is that uh, we have our collective ownership, collective organizing, uh, collective decision-making that you, you don't have one leader or one person to make decisions for you or, and, <laughs> and move on. We have, um, so my effort and my philosophy has always been to bring people together and uh, to make decisions together. And so that, that was my uh, organizing. Uh, that's what I, I did in terms of organizing, is working with uh, bringing people together to uh, make decisions about what what their life or their lives are going to be about. So when you find that you bring people together to make these decisions, then these, this group of people have a lot more power than any individual person. So they have, they can get more done. So is that, is that the sort of the background of this? Oh, absolutely. And, um, right. When, uh, you have our people coming together and making collective decisions, then, uh, you, you have 
are more unity. And actually, you have more power because uh, you have folks collectively deciding on what it is we want to do and how we want to do it and what's the uh, role and the, you know. So working together is always the method that needs to be used to, you know, to be victorious. Okay, right there's a good place to stop. We're going to take our first break. We'll be right back and hear more from Linda Leake's story of helping people to organize. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that down. News Talk 1450 WOLAN, where information is power. Welcome back, everybody. This is the program is Everything Co-op, and today we are talking to Linda Leakes, who is being inducted into the Cooperative Hall of Fame. Uh, Linda, congratulations on being inducted into the Hall of Fame. Thanks. How does it make you feel to be inducted? Yeah, no, like I say, it, just when I'm thinking about it, and I appreciate Trish and Ajwa <laughs> and all the other, other folks that uh, say, hey, listen, let's have Linda inducted. I appreciate it, and it's like I say, it has me feeling like I'm levitating. <laughs> you know, like um, Harriet taught me said when she got free, she had to feel herself to make sure that she wasn't dreaming. That's what I have to do every day: <laughs> feel myself, make sure I'm not dreaming. <laughs> I do appreciate it. Thank you, Audrey. Thank you, Trish, and thank you to all the people that sent in the letters. And I just, I couldn't believe it. You know, say, wow, you know, I was just doing my effort, doing my work, doing my responsibility. <laughs> you know, I, I never dreamed, I never thought that I would be honored in such a way. So thank you. Thank you, Adjua. Thank you, Trish. So, Adjua Ifatel, why did you decide to write up Linda's story to put it in for the Hall of Fame? You know, I've known Linda for years, and Linda's always been a fierce organizer. Linda demonstrates against the Klan by herself <laughs> and all kinds of things like that. And so through the years, I've seen Linda do this work, working on Saturdays and Sundays, and after all day at work, uh, going to meet with tenants at night. And I knew from just talking to her that she said it was about 19 co-ops that she had helped start. And, and um, when I was doing work for Ella Jo Baker, uh, the unsung hero, and I saw the qualifications, I kept coming back to Linda. That's all those qualifications, huh? <laughs> those qualifications. She's done extraordinary work fighting landlords, uh, people who were on drugs uh, in front of buildings, bankers. Helping the tenants to know who they were and their rights and their their um, ability to fight back, and I just felt like that was just so heroic. And not only that, Linda even went to South Africa to organize co-ops, and so it's like if anybody deserves this award, it is Linda Leak. So I just you know had to do it. Okay, and you've created a web page for people can go and uh, yes. read about Linda's story. What is that web web page? It's called honoringlindaleaks.com. That's H-O-N-O-R-I-N-G-L-I-N-D-A-L-E-A-K-S 
com. Okay. And on that, it seemed like the first thing I see a picture of Linda. It looks like it was in 1976, a younger version of Linda Leakes. But you have um, all these pictures and you have her story. How was it for you, Ajawai, to put this together? It was amazing because so many people had information. It was just a matter of collecting it, going to the Smithsonian and um, getting their video that they had done of Linda, uh, students who had done a video of Linda, you know, t- talking to people like Roseanne Look, Dominic Molden, uh, Martha Davis, Benito Diaz. All these people work with her. And so, uh, you know, it was amazing just to go and get that information. And Amanda Huron also, she had um, uh, wishes documents put into the People's Archive at Martin Luther King Library. And that was a goldmine to be able to go in there. And with Trisha Kent, we went through all of those boxes and we pulled out all this information that was there that Linda, and I recognize her handwriting. Oh, yeah, Linda, this is Linda's handwriting. So, and, and, you know, it hasn't stopped burning. Linda did stuff like create educational materials. And I would love for us to somehow get this stuff printed and published, distributed so that other people can learn from her genius. Linda was, she created games, homework, (laughs) flashcards to really teach people how to own their own property and what it meant to be a cooperator. So this is valuable stuff. And it was just really heartwarming for me to be able to bring this information for the world and hopefully to do even more to get this information out because cooperatives are the way for housing and a lot of, a lot of um, ways to survive. <laughs> Thank you, Audra. <laughs> Linda, um, you couldn't have paid her for that endorsement. <laughs> that was wonderful. <laughs> so, Linda, what brought you from St. Petersburg to D.C.? Oh, gosh. Like I say, I was involved in the uh, African People's Socialist Party. It was it was called something else in, the, in those days. But what got me out of St. Petersburg, you know, St. Pete is predominantly, was predominantly European-American, white, and racist. And the racism was driving me insane. I was losing my mind because every second... No matter what store I go into, no matter what street I'm on, somebody is being really racist. It's being anti-me as an African-American, and I had to fight it. And it just was driving me insane. So I say I have to find a predominantly black community to relocate to. (laughs) So I rode up. I drove all over the state on this side of this this country, (laughs) the, the East Coast looking for a predominantly black community. And, of course, being from St. Petersburg, growing up in St. Petersburg, cold weather, change of weather wasn't something that I knew anything about. So uh, Washington, D.C. was predominantly black in those days, and the weather wasn't as bad as some of the other cities that I had run through that was predominantly black, like in Newark, (laughs) New Jersey. So I chose D.C. because I needed to get away for some time from being just being insulted every time I turned around. There was some 
some kind of anti-African, some kind of black statements being made or something happening, uh, some kind of injustice happening. So it was driving me insane. <laughs> so I had, that's why I came to D.C. <laughs> so a lot of that still seems to be going on in Florida. We don't want to talk about that today, but uh, it seems to be going on in, in, in government and throughout Florida. So yeah. keep up with. you came to D.C., you're living in this apartment complex. The folks that own it are trying to put you all out. So you know the laws, you know your right, and you started getting people you call it organizing. What what is this organizing about? What what do you mean when you say you organize people? Well, when I say organize, I mean bring people together who can come up with a strategy together. We may not always think everybody think the same way, but for us who you know have the same uh, intent in mind and can come up with the same method of, of meeting those goals and working together. So that was what um, what I was out there doing. And eventually I got uh, hired <laughs> by an organization that was doing that kind of work. And uh, I had gone to them initially to get their system, Washington Inner City Self-Help. I had gone to them initially to get help in organizing the residents of 919 L Street against being forced out by the hotel in the convention center, but the hotel primarily. And eventually I was able to get a job at WISH, Washington Inner City Self-Help. But that's how I um, got in contact with them to get them, to get that organization to assist the tenants where I live in uh, preserving their housing saving their housing and not being forced out. So when I met you in the mid-60s, mid to late 60s, it was you were with WISH. I had yes. gotten introduced to housing co-ops. In 66, a lady by the name of Laura Fletcher told me about limited equity housing co-ops, and so I started learning about co-ops and met you. So uh, was this... Easy work, this organizing people, or hard work? Oh, yeah. No, it, and I'm sure it's the same today. It's not easy work because primarily because people are not conscious about working together collectively, uh, working together and making decisions uh, together based on what is in the benefit of the majority. So we're gonna uh, we're gonna have to take that's our. That's not how we are indoctrinated in this this country. That's not how we are indoctrinated. So we're gonna take our second break, and I want to come back and talk more about this conscious or unconscious effort to get people to work together. And as you're right, we're not used to that in this country, but we may come out of that in our history, in our past, working together. But we'll take our second break. We'll be right back. We're talking to Linda Leakes about being inducted in the Cooperative Hall of Fame. We'll be right back. News Talk 1450 WOLAM, where information is power. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oak. The program is Everything Cooperative. Um, Linda, we've been on the air. This October will be 
10 years that we've been on air. And the National Co-op Bank has been our supporter over those 10 years, both from a uh, financial standpoint, but also helping us to understand the co-op world, because I came through the housing co-op world as you are, but this this whole sort of vast uh, amount of businesses that are in this co-op world, uh, like I'm down here at for food co-ops right now, NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. And those low-income communities are where black, brown, and indigenous people live. A lot of black, brown, and indigenous people live in low-income communities, low-resource communities. So NCB has been a supporter of housing co-ops and other co-ops in, in the U.S. Linda, did you ever work with NCB when you were doing your organizing? Uh, not especially. Let me say, yeah, no, not especially work with them, but of course they were on our list and in terms of organizing residents, uh, tenants. I can't remember the person's name, but there was a person from there who we were in communication with and mm-hmm. contact with. But you know, my organizing was so, was not so much in terms of uh, the bank uh, or any company. Mine was with residents, and then they would move that way. Okay. Okay. So you, you started with your own co-op and organizing your neighbors so that they could own their own place or have control over their own destiny. And then you got a job with Washington Inner City Self-Help, or known as WISH. How many other co-ops did you help to, housing co-ops did you help to form? <laughs> well, once I got started, I went, what, I think, well, we got about 19 uh, or so on the, on the list. Uh, so it was lots and lots and lots. I don't remember the exact number, but somewhere around 19 to 20, I think it was cooperatives that we that I assist in creating because our TOPA rights, uh, D.C. laws, but I still organize with many, 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 many more uh, tenants whose property was not up for sale because that's, that's where the cooperatives come in. When the property is put on the market to be sold, then the tenants have the first right to purchase. And so that's how... Uh, those are the cooperatives that I uh, work with when, when they, in, in terms of them becoming cooperative, getting ownership of their property. And um, so that's how I uh, pretty much work with uh, so many uh, cooperatives. Because at that point, it was what they call gentrification, <laughs> uh, low and moderate income African-American in particular, were being forced out of D.C. from way back in the day. <laughs> and um, that was one of the ways we were able to keep people in their homes. So right before the break, you said this was not easy work because a lot of times people in our culture were taught to be like individualists, uh, the the whole sort of the John Wayne syndrome, I'm going to do it, I'm the tough guy. And not every t- every one of those movies, there was also a group of people backing him up, but they didn't they didn't talk about that. <laughs> In our society, is how do you be an individualist? So you had to overcome that. 
and in there it the the word trust always comes up so how how could you get people to trust each other and work together well i also created a um, group of individuals to help resolve conflict uh i forget what we call the conflict resolution group but i did create i did pull together some people to be a part of that these were the folks who made up this uh committee this group were not um did not necessarily live in co-op so i was trying to get folks from here to there you know that were involved in community period and so we were able to put together a conflict resolution committee i was able to do that and um so that was one of the ways that we resolved conflict but also teaching people in in the co-op principles i think is uh i forget what number it is but there's a a, a principle for resolving conflict the the cooperative principles mhm so yeah that was part of what i was involved in and um gosh i can't remember the person's name but there was a a person who teaches kung fu uh he has a office on uh u street um and, and anyway so i i was able to uh, convince him to be a part of the uh the uh conflict resolution group So I think you may be talking about principle 5 which is education training and information. I'm not sure if that's the one that talks about conflict, but there are seven principles, uh co-op principles, and I really like the ethical values of honesty, openness, social responsibility and caring for others. I call that caring for one another or the golden rule. But to me that's the heart of what co-ops are all about um these uh-huh. values and principles. So you you were looking for those to help figure out how to resolve conflict. Now does this guy that teaches kung fu, you know, I I'd like to take some classes. I need some help in kung fu. <laughs> <laughs> From what I understand his office is still on U Street, between 14th and 13th Street, Northwest. Okay, <laughs> I really hope he owns that property because that property when you talk about gentrification uh has gone way up in value in oh, the yeah, 47 years that we're talking about I think he's still there and I'm not sure but I've passed by right you know every now and then I never see him but look like the space is still there so from 1993 to 2060s 19 or so properties uh in looking at this list some of them took a year to organize and some of them as much as 20 years the average might be 6 years to organize why did it take so long to organize these properties to get to where people own their their own their own uh place of living well in terms of my organizing it was to get people to appreciate each other and not to put people down and say hey I'm the leader you have to listen to me but to get people to work together you know and, and that's not how we are indoctrinated <laughs> in this country and so that was that that was always uh, a heavy resolution in terms of getting people to say listen we got to work together uh to resolve those and that's still that's still a problem today you know getting people to work together 
and not have, you know, one person or two people to be in charge and to be, um, but to work collectively. And that's always what uh, I have always um, seen, talked about, working co collectively, collective responsibility. I forget what number that is, but <laughs> that's one of the principles. Well, the, the first principle is um, that co-ops are open to anybody, regardless of gender or race or political affiliation, religion, that they're just open up to everybody. It's a co-op. It's open up to everybody. Democratic control, one member, one vote. And the, the third one is that you have to ha own and control the business. Um, the the people that that in this case in housing co-ops the people that live there must own and control the business, and this appreciating each other. What you're trying to teach them is how to work together, yes. organizing residents. That's the, what you've been talking about through this whole period is organizing people, the residents, to where they can work together. And I threw in the word trust uh, not too long ago. Trust each other uh, or the mm -hmm. system. Uh, so that they can work together and overcome uh, what we are taught in our culture, and that is the individual. And I, I was taught that way, too. Uh, I'm in charge, and you all need to listen to me because I have the power. Nope, doesn't work that way in co-ops. And I, and I, I like the co-op world. I, I fell in love with the co-op world, Linda, because I would come behind and manage the co-ops that you had helped to create. Yes. Thank you. And really, I, I fell in love with mainly older black women that were that were running it, and they knew what they were talking about, and they make extremely good decisions, long-term decisions. Yeah, we've got to fix the roof, not just keep patching it. Yes, we've got to replace windows, or yes, we have to do this, and yes, sometimes we have to raise the carrying charges to cover increases in water and everything else they make extremely good decisions and they held each other accountable that was the other part of this organizing and working together and appreciating everybody had to had to pay their fair share or do their their work and that's what caused me to love co-ops in the mid uh, mid to late 80s I, I started getting introduced to them and um did not learn this at all in my MBA program, just the opposite. There was nothing talked about co-ops. As a matter of fact, all decisions were made on what's the greatest return on investment for those owners who might live in Germany or somewhere else. But what gives them the greatest return on investment? That was the best return for the employees or what's the best return for the residents or in a terms of a credit union, what's the best return for people that have checking accounts in these credit unions? But what's the greatest return on investment for the stockholder that those owners of those properties? Uh, and that's, that's unfortunate, but that's what you have to fight up against <laughs> starting at 9, 19, 11th Street, uh, L Street rather. <laughs> Linda, we, we're going to take our final break here in a minute. And what I would like for you to think about during the break, and I want to come back and talk about the future. Where do you see the laws in D.C.? The TOPA laws are still in effect, but organizations that can help if somebody wants to own their own housing, 
what they can do, but what they can do even before the property comes up for sale to get ready, to get the training that they need. So when we come back, I want to talk about mostly the future and get your wisdom on what people in the district can do, particularly those black, brown, and indigenous people that may be in low-income communities or housing and gentrification comes in and just swoops them up and they can't live there anymore. But we'll be right back. Please don't touch that down. News Talk 1450 WOLAM, where information is power. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Co-op. We're talking to Linda Leakes, who's in, being inducted on October 5th in the Cooperative Hall of Fame. And there's been a webpage, honoringlindaleakes.com, honoringlindaleakes.com. And uh, on that webpage is a list of co-ops that she's helped to form. And her co-op work started on L Street. Then she joined Washington Inner City Help, which in, in, the, in the late 80s. So, Linda, what, what we said before the break was wanted to come back and talk about Wish is no longer a, around, but where could somebody go now to get help in organizing? Yeah, well, I would definitely uh, suggest that people go, number one, to Empower DC, which is an organization that grew out of Wish, Empower DC. And at the same address <laughs> on, on what D Street, yeah, that's that's where I was recommend right now. I will also recommend the uh, Office of Tenant Advocate. Uh, I think they're in the municipal building. They were in the municipal building. I don't know if they're still there on Fourteenth and U. But the uh, Office of uh, Tenant Advocate, I would definitely suggest that people go there. So those are the two that I, I uh, think would be still around and still working with residents. So um, Empower DC came out of WISH. Yes. Uh, when was it formed? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, I don't remember exactly that the... Um, Celebrating the 20th anniversary. 2003. Okay, great. Thank you. <laughs> Um, yes, initially it grew out of wish, but um, it became an independent organization on its own. Okay. So you you advise them to go to Empower DC if there's a, a group? And what would you say? What did you say? They are go to Daniel at Empower DC. Okay. I always suggest that people call Daniel, <laughs> talk to Daniel. Okay. At Empower so where do you see the future for places like D.C. that gentrification is just, and, and I just think of gentrification as the cost of land, the cost of housing just keeps going up, seem like sky high. I mean, when I got here, you could find a one-bedroom for $500. Now they're running $2,000 a month. What do you see people doing that they could continue to live in D.C.? Well, they, they have to be organized and make sure that the people who make decisions, like the city council, like the mayor, are making decisions 
that benefit the uh, low and moderate income people in the city. Because that is what happened. The higher income people will go and they will say, listen, uh, city council member, make this decision. If you don't, then we're going to kick you out. We're not going to give you money. So I always say to low and moderate income people, go to those people with the power and with your recall petition and say to them, listen, if you don't do this in our interest, then we're going to recall you. That means we're going to fire you. So that's what that's what needs to happen. And we know that's what needs to happen. Residents need to be organized so that they have a force of power to get decisions made on their behalf. Because otherwise, there is a group of people with force of power that comes in, in money. <laughs> so higher income people who want uh, the space and want the lower income people and people of color out, uh, then they're the ones that using their power. And so I say that we have to be organized. Low and moderate income people have to be organized. Okay. They have to be organized and have a strategy and have this and make decisions collectively to move forward. So this is much bigger than housing. When, you, when you're saying, okay, low-income, moderate-income people, get organized, go to the city council, go to the mayor, and say, these are the things we need, we want. If you don't give them to us, we're going to vote you out. We have the votes. There are more low-income and moderate-income people in most cities than there are wealthy people. So we have yeah. the votes. But what you're yes. fighting against is those wealthy people that can come in and say, if you don't give us what we want, we want that piece of land for whatever they want it for. If you don't mm-hmm. help us get that land to do what we want, and, yeah, the people that are low income, they just have to move, whether they move somewhere in D.C. or go to Ward 9 in Prince George's County or go back south, whatever. Then yes. if you don't. Give us what we want. We will not give you the money. So they they trade with money, and low-income people can trade. Low- and modern-income people can trade with votes, but you have to be organized. Yes, yes. Low-and-moderate-income low and people can have their, like, they can have their recall petitions. <laughs> yeah. The uh, higher-income people have their money, but the low-and-moderate-income people must have their recall petitions. So they, they, will, they will fall either way. They will do what we want them to do, or they will get fired. <laughs> okay. And so, and right now it would be, if it's for housing, go to Power DC. What about overall? Because when we talk about housing, we can also talk about health care, education. Any of these things can fall in there because it's, still low-income and moderate-income people and don't have the money to come in and say, if you don't give us this this kind of health care, we won't give you the money. But what, what about larger, when you look at the larger issues, how do you see helping people get organized? Well, I, I guess around whatever the major issue is in any of the issues, bring people together and then the people who come together make a decision about which direction they want to go into. 
So for me, that's critical. <laughs> in fact, it doesn't work unless it happens that way, in my opinion, in terms of people having a voice into a voice into what happens in their lives, what happened to them, their families, <laughs> their daily existence. Okay. If that make that makes sense. But that's what that's 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 how I see it. That's what I believe in. That's what has always inspired me or motivated me. To help people with their daily decisions. What whatever that might be. Absolutely. They have to make that decision. They have to determine. It's not me who go in to determine what you're gonna organize around or what is affecting you, but you, the individual who then <laughs> impacted, make that decision and then have to come up with the resolution or the solution to those issues, if that makes sense. But that's been my motivation in organizing forever, all my life. <laughs> Linda, we only have a couple more minutes, but when I think of my parents and watching low and moderate income people, most of the time, particularly raising a family, you don't have that much time. You've got to go to work. You've got all of these different things that you have to do that on your time. Where do you see that people have time to do this organizing? Well, you know, what I say is it's about the necessity. I have worked with folks late at night uh, working with residents assisting them in preparing their speech or their talk with the uh, city council member or with the mayor. So it just has to be a part of your agenda. There's no way to get around it. Yes, you have to work. Okay. <laughs> you got to well, we, We're going to let that be the, the, the last word. You really have to work. You have to get it. You have to get the work done. Yes. Linda Leakes, congratulations on being inducted into the Cooperative Hall of Fame. I Thank agree you. agree with Roger why you deserve it. It's been a pleasure <laughs> working with you through the years. Um, Thank you. Yes, I, I look, appreciate you. <laughs> I look forward to you doing a lot more work as, as, as the years come through. And everybody else out there, we'll see you next Thursday. Please live cooperatively and get organized. News Talk 1450 WOLAM, where information is power.